Welcome to episode 316 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. I'm about to publish my third book, and I've written a weekly email for many years, and I can still tell you, I don't feel like a writer. For me, it takes way more effort than speaking. This is why it's with great fanfare that I can say my book is nearly at the promotion stage, which I love. And that's when you get to jump into the fun. The book is called Break Out of Boredom, Low-Tech Solutions for Highly Engaging Zoom Events. Join my book launch team and you'll receive extra bonuses and early access just for committing to writing an Amazon review. Plus, you'll get invited to a behind the scenes look into how I run book launches that result in 150 Amazon reviews within a week of the launch date. I've done this for my first two books and I hope to again. Sign up at robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. If you ever have to present virtually, you want this book. Again, the link to sign up for the book launch team is robbysamuels.com forward slash breakout launch. If you'd rather hire a professional Zoom producer or need help with virtual event design, reach out. My team and I would love to support you and your team. Now, on to this week's interview. Today's guest can help you network your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success. She knows two key things. The people you meet will change your life, and networking is how you meet those people. She's a motivating, high-energy speaker, teaching the importance of networking and why you are your best business development tool. She's the author of This Works, a no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and more success. A book dedicated to making networking easy, accessible, and fun, as well as the host of This Works, a podcast dedicated to all things business development. Please join me in welcoming Julie Brown. Hey, Julie. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Julie, you're hanging out in my my old hometown, my previous hometown of Boston, Massachusetts. Pretty awesome. Sorry, we didn't make all this happen while I was still living there. But now you're here. (laughs) (laughs) It's a show about building strong networks, and the context is leadership. So tell me, How do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Well, I think if you Googled leadership, you'd probably get a myriad of different ways to define leadership. And so I think it's probably up to each person to define what a leader is to them. But I think, you know, anybody can be a leader and it it doesn't have anything to do with your title or how many years you have of experience, it's, you know, you can be a leader in every day and little, little everyday scenarios. So Mm -hmm. every day, are you, are you influencing others? Are you helping others? Are you empowering others? Are you taking risks? Like, that's how I think about leaders, not so much as, oh, I lead this team. Cause what if you're an ineffective leader? Are you really a leader then? <laughs> um, so I think there's a lot of, I mean, we could go in a lot of different ways with this idea of leadership. 
I, I like that you said taking risks as part of it, not just uh, influencing and impacting, but taking risks, because that that kind of also says you're a little bit up front ahead of maybe where other people are taking that risk, putting yourself out there. Maybe, maybe it's making a suggestion, right? right? Maybe it's pointing out an error. You know, there's all these studies, like I'm just thinking, I was just rereading the studies from NASA around how, what they've done to make it safer for people to speak up. And the people who speak up, they're leaders, right? Like taking on the onus of of speaking their mind. So I, lo I love how you're expanding. I, I've been doing this for a while now, so it's always great to me when I have someone say something that's a little different from what I've heard. Um, so at what point in your life did you start to realize you had some of these skill sets? Well, I think when you are a solopreneur, when you're an entrepreneur, you have absolutely no choice but to be the leader of your firm, of your brand, of your business. Um, so I probably discovered it a little bit before I decided to quit my job and start my own company. And I think at that point, I kept saying to myself, this is going to sound, oh, this is going to sound so um, maybe bad. But I was like, I'm really good at this. Like, why am I not doing this for myself? It was more of, I realized that I could teach other people how to do what I do. And when I realized that I could teach more people how to do what I do, then I saw myself as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right there. You kind of have no choice when you're doing all the, all the work and all the, all the roles kind of fall on you, yeah. including leader, including, you know, bottle washer, yeah. <laughs> all the roles. <laughs> yeah. But all right, let's, let's wind the clock back a little bit because I'm always curious how people sort of came to be who they are today, but let's start with who you had been. What, what kind of kid were you in the playground? Oh. You know, did you run for office when you were in high school? Did teachers see potential in you? Were you quiet? Yeah. Were you outgoing? Like, what kind of kid were you? People saw no potential in me. I was the girl that talked too much. I was too loud. I was the one who was always shushed. I mean, just to paint a picture here, I thought I was going to grow up to be a part of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Like, I was obsessed with the WWF when I was a little kid. I was the only girl in the fifth grade who wore a Hulkamania t-shirt to, to school. You know, I was obsessed. I went to go see, like, I had a family friend who was also into the WWF and he would take me, to, you'll know, the Lowell Arena was, is where we live is the big arena. He would take me to WWF matches there when I was a little kid. Like, that's who I was. I was always over the top. And in school, in parochial settings, that's not exactly embraced. So I was always the one who was, I got a note every time I went home that I was talking too much or I wasn't paying attention and all that. That's, that's who I was as a kid. That's amazing. I mean, you're bringing up glow, the gorgeous <laughs> ladies of wrestling. Um, I just recently watched the show. It was pretty so amazing. Good. <laughs> so good. So good. So, uh, I mean, yeah, that is a way you channel the, I'm already over the top. I must get paid for it. You're like, yeah, there are people out of the, who are over the top and who are appreciated. I want to be one of those people. I don't want to be shush. Yeah. Yeah. But does that mean that at 12, that was the aspiration, like go and get into this WWF stuff? Uh, okay. So this is where the, this is where the two sides of Julie come. Like I would knew I was either going to be in glow or, and this never happened. I was going to be a lawyer because those gave me two platforms where, okay, so in the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, you can never be too much. You can be accused of being too little, you know, not big enough, not bold enough, not hairsprayed enough, not neoned enough. Like you could be not enough. 
And then I was like, well, if I'm not going to make it into GLOW, then I'm just going to be a lawyer because then everybody has to listen to me. <laughs> I have closing arguments and I can say what I want. All right. So you wanted, you wanted to be seen and heard and respected. Yes. You didn't have a strong preference of the medium. No. You knew the values that you had. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think I knew a professional speaker was on the table. So I right. That wasn't even an option. We're to have a platform. <laughs> was college a given in your family? Was there like a your course you're going to graduate and go to college? Was that just sort of part um, of the path? I don't think historically that was a given to the people in my family before me. But because but I was oh, even though I was crazy and too loud, I was always a straight A student. I, you know, I was definitely going to get out of the town that I grew up in. So historically, it wasn't like everybody in my family went to college. But when it came to me, I was certainly going to college. And you were going to go to college to do what? what was there a very specific <laughs> career plan? But by the time 17, 18 comes along, are you like, is that, are you narrowed down your options between Nothing lawyer and glow? <laughs> Nothing makes sense. I went to college and got a degree in pre-med biology. And I think I, again, nothing makes sense, <laughs> nothing makes sense, which I did absolutely nothing with. And halfway through getting that degree, I said, I absolutely hate this. I never want to do this anymore. I don't know why I signed up for this. And I took on a business minor. And so when I graduated, I graduated with the degree in biology, but also with a business minor. And then I was like, okay, now what do I do with this? Um, and then obviously went more the business route than anything else. So, yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of people I know who did pre-med did things like um, theater that, you know, were a little easier grades than biology even. Yeah. So clearly you had, you had good grades, you were a good student, but yeah. you weren't so motivated by the topic anymore. You started getting into business. Was, was there a specific piece of business like early on? I mean, were there, you know, entrepreneurship wasn't really on the table at that point. Right. What, what you had all these skills, but like, how did you channel them as you yeah. graduated from college? I was like a jack of all trades and a master of nothing, to be honest, when I graduated. And I was moving into Boston and I moved here without a job. I just, you know, this is pre like you, I went on this website. This is going to sound so bad. I went on this website called easyroommate.com. Like, that's how you found a roommate back in the like late 90s. And found a roommate, moved to Boston, had no job. And suddenly I was like, I got, I have to pay rent. So I started temping. So I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do with this, this degree that I wanted nothing to do with. So I started temping. What happened was I ended up getting a job as administrative assistant at an architecture firm and ended up actually loving the built world and loving architecture and ended up spending i have now prior to starting my own company in 2016 spent 18 years in the architecture industry married an architect started his practice with him we've owned that practice for 12 years now like i ended up falling in love with the built world but i still did business i did business development and client relations within architecture, engineering, and construction firms in Boston, which that is a really, really big industry in Boston, uh, and just fell in love with the people I met and the whole process and changing landscapes and cities and, and campuses. And so none of it makes sense, but it all makes sense. <laughs> 
Yeah. I was it anything we check there with the built world because I've thought a lot about, you know, how we, you know, um use you space that's usable versus accessible and yeah. commons and how we bring people together and I, and I can see how that might relate to your your like relationship focused brain. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think it was all about how do we design spaces in which people live and make those spaces also really really beautiful and 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 pleasing to the eye and more artwork that you, you know more art i know you're supposed to have form over function um but like artwork to the buildings as well so very interesting and what's funny about this whole thing is people always assume i've been i've been with my husband for 21 years people always assume that i met my husband in the industry and i totally didn't i met him drunk in a bar and it just so happened to be that he was an architect <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I yep. definitely was assuming that yep. that you two had met at some industry event or something. Yes. Um, and as you can imagine, my husband being a classical architect, or um, classically trained architect, he is, he lends towards the introverted side of the ambervert spectrum. And I obviously lend towards the extroverted side of the ambervert spectrum. And we were in the industry for years, sharing the same last name. I've had the last name. We've been married for 18 or 19 years. I don't know. I should know. Um, people didn't connect us. Like Brown's a pretty, Brown, Brown's a pretty popular right. name. Right. But it was years before people were like, wait, wait a minute. You, <laughs> you guys are married. <laughs> yeah. 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 They couldn't, they couldn't see it because they didn't see you two together. Right. Amazing. So those are great skills though. You built up. I mean, to stay in one industry for a long yeah. time to develop yep. business development skills, develop the skill of sort of, um, just, just like, I mean, obviously even being an administrative assistant, knowing how to run a business, mm -hmm. doing all that. I think a lot of people who go into entrepreneurship actually don't have a lot of experience in the business side of having a business. Well, it seems like you had both, you had developed a skill up. and you had developed the, like, yeah, you know, the, the overhead. I did everything. So I started as administrative assistant and then I became a marketing assistant and then became a marketing manager and then a business development assistant and then straight 100% business development relationship building. So I literally did everything um, on my journey to becoming an entrepreneur. So you said in 2016 is when you put a put a flag in for yourself and, and went full time into entrepreneurship. Was there a precipitating factor? Was there something that said this is the moment for me? Yep. Uh, so there was a couple of things. There was a couple of things. So I had helped my husband launch his practice in 2010. And to be honest, I was hundred percent jealous of his entrepreneurial lifestyle. He made his hour. Now, again, we all know when you're an entrepreneur, you work more hours than you did before you were an entrepreneur, but you work when you want to work. So I was jealous of him, you know, having this flexibility with his schedule. I was, you know, just jealous that he had done it, that he had, he had something with his name on it and he was making money for himself and not for someone else. And so I watched him do that for six years before I said, I'm doing this. I'm a hundred percent doing this. And so that was one of the factors. The, another factor was, is that I had been replaced in a job by some, again, this is my opinion, my humble opinion, but by somebody who was not as good at the job as I was. And People and it caused this huge ruckus in the industry, and people were like, "Oh, if it can happen to Julia, it can happen to all of us." And all of us were a little bit shook over it. And I remember saying at that point, I'm, "This will never happen to me again." 
I will never be replaced again. And so that also combined with seeing him, I was like, how do I not get replaced? <laughs> and I was like, I'll just start my own business and I'll have my own clients and I'll pick who I want to work with. And I'll tell you something, Robbie, during the when, March, 2020, when everything was hitting the fan and a lot of my friends that were business development directors were getting laid off, I had this, um, I had this overwhelming sense of peace that that wasn't going to happen to me, that I was controlling what happened with my company and no one was deciding whether or not I had a job or not. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was very interesting. It kind of came full circle for me during the pandemic. You know, it's interesting because there's a lot of ways in which people think of day jobs, you know, nine to five jobs as being secure and stable mm -hmm. and, and safe and, and until there's a layoff, <laughs> until there's a merger, yeah. until there's a down economy or a recession or something happens in the stock market and suddenly roles that felt incredibly secure are no longer. I was working, organizing fundraising events and feeling like I had a very secure role in a nonprofit because, you know, I brought money in, you know, right. like right. I'd been there for a very long time and I brought money in. So like, but then a pandemic came, right? And so of course, people in those kinds of roles, not everyone was needed and things were changing. So I actually left that role before the pandemic, but it did make me think, nothing is secure and having your own name on the door uh, while sometimes a wild roller coaster ride is your ride. Yep. It is your ride. Now you and I share a passion for networking yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. relationships. And I, I had a hard time figuring out at first how to market that as something people would buy. Interesting. So now you came into this already as business development being the angle. Mm -hmm. And when, when you were first went into, you know, full-time entrepreneurship, what was the product or service that you were first putting out and who was it for? Yeah. So when I decided to go out on my own, so I had spent at that point, 17 years doing business development for some of the largest architecture and engineering and construction firms in Boston. So I had a niche and I was very, very well known in that niche as one of the best, if not the best BD people in the industry. So what I did before I went out on my own was I started having meetings with people that didn't have business development directors in their office, telling them, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to have a handful of non-competing clients. Is this something you'd be interested in? Would you be interested in working with me? And I had a handful of um, meetings and then I had a handful of clients before I even incorporated my business. So everybody signed on with me before I started my business. This is when it got tricky because... Then I had all of my clients, which I loved. And then I started getting asked to talk if I, if I would talk about networking and business development, because now I was seen as an expert because you go out on your own, you have a handful of clients. Now you're seen as an expert. So I was getting asked over and over again by companies if I would come in and do workshops to teach them how I had done what I had done, how I had networked into a pipeline of work, not just for my own company, but for the companies prior to. And that's when I was like, oh, huh, I really like doing this part of the company. And so in, in, in the almost seven years since I've had the company, it has now evolved from a consultancy firm into almost 100% professional speaking, talking about networking and business development. And as you know, because you've written a couple of books, I wrote a book about networking, so did you. That helps with the social proof, that helps with you getting booked more um, and then also similar to you having a podcast, again, continually disseminating information on the subject that is our subject of choice 
really keeps you in front of the public eye and helps feed the machine that is now your business, which is public speaking and and um, being in front of people. When you made this switch into entrepreneurship, uh, did you already have entrepreneurs in your circle? Like, did you already know that ecosystem? Well, I had, again, I'd watched my husband do it for, at that point, I'd watched him do it for six years. So yes, I'd watched him do it. I was named, I am named after my aunt Julie, who is my mom's sister, who also was an entrepreneur. She owned her own marketing, um, you know, she did marketing like before the internet. So it was like print marketing, newsletter marketing, um, advertising. She owned her own um, advertising agency. And I grew up kind of in the shadow of knowing what she was doing. Eventually, that company was bought by a website uh, company, a development company, and they went into website development and did a couple of other things. And she had a couple of other um, companies that she sold. So I had seen her do it as a female, as a as a female entrepreneur, and then I had also watched my husband do it. So I had two very different examples, but yeah, they were definitely in my orbit, and I and I had both of them to ask questions. And I still, my aunt, I still probably once a week, I'm like, what would you do in this scenario? You know? So it's great to have that. I, she sounds incredible, she particularly is, yeah. her generation, being a woman, being a, being a business owner uh, in, a, in a probably more male-dominated yep. ad agency market. Yep. Um, that, that's a pretty incredible thing to have done and to have sold. Um, yes. more than one business as well, which even today people find very difficult. Mm -hmm. So those are great inspirations. And then of course you stumbled upon sort of speaking as a passion. At what point did you start to connect with the world of professional speakers and recognize that that was a, a revenue stream, not just like a nice thing to do or, you know, raise visibility, but like this was actually a big part of how you were going to earn your keep. So, and I, and I think you would probably guide people towards understanding what a peer group can do for you. So when I started speaking and then I had, I remember as an entrepreneur, I had a month where I was making more money with speaking fees than I was with, you know, recurring revenue fees from my consultancy practice. And I said, Hmm, wait a minute, <laughs> I should really look at this more seriously. And that's when I discovered the national speakers association. And I, I, I hate to sound you know, like I didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea that this even existed and that there were so many people that I could tap into and relationships that I could make. And so I joined the National Speakers Association as a professional member because at that point I was making enough money per year to qualify as a professional member and then also joined my local chapter. And that's when I really started understanding this could be something that I could I could let go of the consultancy part of my practice if I really worked on this part that I, I really love and really lights the fire within me. Um, so it was 100% having that peer group, going to the conferences, seeing people at the top of their craft do it and saying, I want to do that. How do I do that? Um, that really allowed me mentally and emotionally to make the shift because you start a company and you think you have to stick with it. But you don't have to stick with it. It can evolve and change, and it can change really rapidly, and that's okay. Boy, if that wasn't the case, I don't know where I'd be. <laughs> My business has changed so much since I started. So, um, I, well, I definitely want to mention the, the National Speakers Association. It's an incredible resource. What year was it that you joined them? Oh, it must have been about 
it was the year before the pandemic. So I'm saying it was probably 2019 that I yeah. So you'd been already, you, you'd had your own business for a couple of years. Speaking had become a bigger and bigger part of it. Uh, how did you first get introduced to the National Speakers Association? Did someone in particular introduce you? I Googled it. <laughs> like I Googled yeah. speaker peer group or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah. So and, I, you, that's resourceful too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very into the Google machine. Um, yeah. And then I started connecting with people locally that were part of the Speakers Association. And I was told, oh, if you, and I remember this advice, they were, they told me, if you really want to get serious about speaking, you have to go to the conferences. That's where you get, when you invest to do those things to learn, that's when you are a serious speaker. So then the pandemic happened and I didn't do the virtual one because I was like, if I'm going to go in, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to go in and meet people. And so I went, my first one was Vegas, which was 2021. Um, and then I went to Nashville this year, which which is where we met for the first time in person, even though yeah. we had been back and forth over texting and emails. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, I, I didn't jump in with both feet as fast as I should have. I kind of dipped a toe in and then dipped another toe in. And then somebody was like, no, if you're going to be into it, you got to You got to jump all in. And that's when I jumped in in 2021. I left my um, world of nonprofits and particular organizing fundraising events as being a major gift, uh, helping people with their major gifts uh, giving and uh, the end of 2014. And I joined National Speaker Association in 2015 and they have like an aspiring speaker um, mm -hmm. sort of membership. And at the end of that year, I remember sitting in a chapter meeting and doing some math on a napkin <laughs> and realizing that I'd already hit the, yeah. the whatever the minimum was yeah um and i was like oh <laughs> like this is happening yeah that's um, a moment that because i didn't even know what it was and i was like oh what is it i didn't know you could be a, an affiliate member without being yeah the affiliate member. member right oh i don't know if they'll take me and then i did the same thing i i, I was like okay i guess they I guess you gotta take me now <laughs> well so you know and i think some folks uh probably have heard of toastmasters and toastmasters yeah. which has chapters literally globally um yeah they really are about helping people with the craft of speaking where nsa is the business of speaking yes. Yes. and uh i think there's a lot to learn about the business of <laughs> being a professional oh, speaker yes. and that's where these peer connections were really so helpful for you yes. and um i i actually started going to the national conference in 2015 and said i was going to go 10 years in a row get as involved as i could and then decide whether it was worth it <laughs> it's just sort of like be all in you like you yes. said just, just jump in so what were some of the bigger challenges? You know, you, you had to sort of find some, some skills you had, some skills you needed. Yeah. When you were making these shifts, both in the 2016, the beginning, and as things were shifting in 2019, and then of course the pandemic, <laughs> what were the challenges you were facing and how did you have to tap into your network to help you? Well, so, so a couple of different things. The personal challenges as far as getting on a stage and, and speaking in front of a stage, uh, in front of people on a stage, there was the challenge of, I think everybody who, who, who takes on a role of speaking might say, who am I to deliver this message? And I said that to myself a lot. Who am I to deliver this message? Why are people going to come and see me? So, like, no one knows who I am, especially when you're first starting out. So that was certainly like a, per a personal challenge to get over that I do have a message. I can deliver it in a way that is engaging and thoughtful and will change people's careers. So that was one thing to get over. The second thing was the actual skill of speaking. So from my very first speech that I ever gave, I had it 
professionally videographed, which is a horrible gut-wrenching experience <laughs> to watch. And I did it over, I'm lucky enough that I, I person in my network who is the owns a videography company and she's one of my best friends and she gives me the friends and family right but i had all of my first speeches recorded and i would watch them back and cringe but write down notes about what i didn't like about what i was doing where i wasn't giving the enough uh, the audience enough time to like take in what there's no pauses it was like like word salad for like an hour <laughs> you know like learning about the power of the pause and 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 humor and all that. So that was another thing that I had that I had to get over. And I, I think it's just confidence comes with repetition and confidence. I was competent. I knew it. I just didn't have the repetition. And so I think just nothing makes you a better speaker than speaking. So yeah, get on more stages. That's what that's the advice always has been that I've heard. You know, I, I often say, don't judge me on my first three attempts. Judge me on my last three attempts. Yeah. Yeah. Because I actually just put a little welcome video on my YouTube channel and it says, you know, hey, if you're digging around, I'm sorry, you're probably going to find some really cringeworthy videos in here. I've been doing this for more than a decade. And if you dig deep it. enough, mm, sorry about that. But my yeah, heart was in the right place and I kept going. <laughs> and now it's a lot better. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm I, not taking those down because we all started somewhere. Yeah, and... I think you have to. It's good to do that because I still have those first videos that want those videos are like, ooh. And and she also she does mostly work with politicians. She is a speech coach for politicians, but she would walk me through the videos and she was like, this is where you really suck, you know? <laughs> but then I just, I just gave this huge keynote in California two weeks ago to a thousand people. And I had that professionally video videographed and I put them side by side and it hasn't been that long. It's only been a, a few years. And the difference between this woman who gave this speech and this woman who gave this speech was just repetition and the confidence in being able to deliver that message and, and doing it over and over. I've given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of speeches. That's the only way to get good. I also really think though, that your willingness to, to look at the tape mm -hmm. and examine what you did and yeah. take notes. I think, you know, a lot of us don't even like seeing ourselves yeah. on oh, tape no. or hearing ourselves you know, on audio. And yeah. so, but to, to take note of that and to take in that feedback, I just did a big presentation for the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, and I was developing slides. I don't usually speak with slides. Mm -hmm. I'm much more like, interview me, I'll talk about anything. Right. But I was like, this is gonna have slides. And so I create all these slides and I last minute Friday night asked my community, I host a, a content connection club. So I asked my members, hey, I'm gonna just run through this and I want, I want your feedback. Mm -hmm. And they gave me such great feedback. I took away 10 minutes of content, I put in slides to tell people kind of where we were in the content. I learned to pause, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. again, I've been doing this a long time. I'm very comfortable speaking, but when it's new and it's a heightened sort of, you know, experience, like it's caps, I want to do a good job in front of my peers. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. I, and I got a compliment from someone on LinkedIn who is not just a caps member, but she's a presentation skills expert. And I was like, wow, thank you. Yeah, Thanks for, thank you for telling me that, you know, it's like, I've been at this for a while, but like, it's still very nice to hear that, but yeah. that, that effort to always get a little bit better. Like even now, right. We don't want to just be like, we're done. It's like, right. we just keep crafting. I think that continuous improvement is a part of who you are. And that shows in everything you've done. It feels like probably how you got really good at business development to begin with. 
was that you were examining what you did and how you got people to pipelines, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of build and reflect sort of built in. So anyone listening, that's right there, takeaway. The thing is, is you can't learn from your mistakes if you don't make any. Like, we're all gonna make mistakes. You can't learn from them if you don't make them. So it's okay, be okay with making mistakes. It's part of the process. I would love to hear more specifics around, you know, you've got sort of that, your network, right? You've got that inner circle, the network, people that, whether you talk to them on a regular basis or not, you're gonna pick up with them real easily when you Mm -hmm. do. They've got your back. And then I always think that there's sort of a second and third tier or second and third layer. Mm -hmm. These are the people you might see once a year at a conference or you work with them five years ago, but you haven't had a reason to since, but you like each other. I should mention that you, you, you enjoy each other's company. How do you think about nurturing and sustaining those kinds of, I guess I'll call them weaker connections, real little tip there, but is it like other habits or philosophies or practices that you do to make that happen? So the first thing I, you're exactly right. There's there's layers to our network. The, the you know the pe- the top five the people that are closest to us, then fifteen and fifty and a hundred and further out. And n- none of those relationships are always going to be at the same. Level to have your top five be your top one hundred, where you're spending that much time with that many people. We don't have the time. Neither does everybody else. So I think what we have to first do is be okay with the fact that our network is built up of a lot of relationships that are in various stages of strength. And that's how it's supposed to be. And mm-hmm. some people that you are close with now, things in your life are going to change and they're they're going to change and you're not going to be as close. And then they're going to come back in and other people who aren't as close are going to come in and be close for a while and back up. Like it's a fluid system and that's the way it's supposed to be. And there's been a lot of research into, let's call it like the circle of a hundred, those people out there that, like you said, that you see at a conference every year, or maybe you only talk to them every couple of years. This study a number of years ago called the power of weak ties and about how important these, these relationships that we see, that we tend to think of as weaker, how important those relationships really are. We know that we're facing a potential recession coming up. We also know 85% of jobs are filled through networking. What people don't understand is of those 85% of jobs, 72% of those jobs will be filled from this outer circle of 100. Because what happens is somebody's like, oh, we're trying to fill this position. Or somebody says, I lost, I just lost my job. Do you know anybody who's looking? What they do is they go back and like the way back. And they're like, oh my God, let me think, let me think. And it's usually from that circle of 100 where you get your, your most valuable connections as far as going into the next part of your career. Also, it's okay For you to have not talked to somebody for a while, if you have the kind of relationships where you can just pick up where you started. And so that's under understanding that there are some relationships in your network. They need you more, more than other relationships. They need that constant connection more than other relationships. Identifying that and knowing which ones you can give space and which ones you have to work on more. Khalil Gibran has this great quote called, there needs to be space in your togetherness. And there are some people where that's how it works for them. They're good with only a little bit of interaction with you, but your network is just as strong. My One of my best, 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 best friends that I met through networking when she lived in Boston now lives in Chicago. I see her every three years maybe in person, but when we get together, no time has passed. So you have to understand that there's, there's our, there are those relationships like that as well. 
Your job is to treat everybody with kindness and respect and be invested in other people's success in your relationship, not just looking for what am I getting? What am I getting? Um, And those relationships will do the work for you. So what are your specific strategies, habits, practices? Like, is there something you're doing daily, weekly, monthly? Are you tracking things? Well, this this is where I think, number one, I think having a a system to be able to communicate with your people, with your network on a consistent basis. So for me, I have the podcast that comes out every Wednesday. I also have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday that is a really personal newsletter. It is what is happening in my life because my life is networking. It is relationships. It's what's happening with my business. So if you're part of my newsletter group, you're going to hear about my friggin' hip bursitis. Like you're going to hear, and I'm going to somehow make it connected to networking. If you know I mean. um, like you're going to hear about my personal life. And then on, on LinkedIn, pardon, on LinkedIn, I put my podcast on LinkedIn. I put my newsletter on LinkedIn. I comment on other people's things on LinkedIn. I put in, you know, up other information on LinkedIn. I am constantly in front of my network from a branding and content standpoint. And that is really important because this is what happens. I go to a networking event. I run into a gentleman who I have not seen in four years. And what he says to me is, I see you everywhere. Oh my God, I love your stories. I love staying in touch with you. But I'm just doing it like so, because I my network is so big and so vast. There's no way I could talk to all of those people all the time. So that's one way of doing it, having really good content, not content for content's sake, because nobody wants that. Um, They always say, oh, you American, you know, the average human has a seven second attention span or whatever. That's not true. How many of you are binge watching stuff on TV for hours? Your attention span is there if the content is good. Okay. So if people aren't reading your stuff, it's because your content isn't good. Work on your content development. The second thing I do is I make sure that I have a business development checklist by my desk every day, every week. And it is how many face-to-faces have I had? So something like this, how many face Zooms that I have face-to-face or coffees do I have face-to-face? How many events did I go to, to for the possibility of meeting new people? Then it's how many follow-ups have I done, sending follow-up emails? How many phone calls have I made? So I try to make three phone calls a week to somebody in my network, like the old fashioned ringity ring phone call, because like people love that. They're like, Oh my God, my phone is ringing. Even if you don't, they don't answer. I'm like, I was thinking of you. These are the five magic words. I was thinking, I've been thinking about you. So I was thinking about you. I had some time in the car, blah, blah, blah. Like people love that. So three people, three new people every week out of the 400 people in my network. And then also how many thank you cards have I sent this week? And so I, I strive to send two thank you cards. Oh, this is funny. I just did this. Um, I didn't know we were going to do this. These are my thank you cards from this week. So you're you're showing us envelopes, four envelopes, ready to go, put them in the mail. Four envelopes ready to go with the stamps on them and everything that I'm going to walk down. Um, I was in St. Louis for a speech. So these are the women who hired me. And then this is a woman on my podcast. How many people am I showing gratitude for every week? And in saying, I appreciate what you do for me. I appreciate that you're part of my network. I appreciate that you're helping me be me. Um, So those are the things that I do to stay on top of my network. 
So that checklist, is there a metric you're trying to reach each week or is it just a track generally? To me, it's you- just a track. It's just to make sure that I'm staying true to myself and I'm staying true to the tips that I tell people that they have to do. You have to meet new people. You have to have face-to-faces. You have to thank people for what they do for you. You have to reach out to people you haven't talked to in a while. Like I'm just tr- trying to keep myself in check because I don't want to be do as I say, not as I do kind of person. Yeah, no, uh, it is true that um, sometimes, you know, the cobbler's kids have no shoes kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> like okay. I can I can fix anyone else's business yeah. <laughs> development plan. Yeah, it's like, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. Just do what I tell you to do. Yeah. So you had just shown us some physical cards a moment ago and you had, you know, carefully drawn things and really sweet yep. looking stamps. And I will say that I, for years, wanted to be the person who sent cards. Like I would say like 10 years ago, that was sort of in my mind, the kind of person I wanted to be. And I kept not doing it, not doing it. I would buy cards. I had cards made with my name. I had, my mother gave me stationery. Like it was, I just, I had addresses and I had stamps. I don't like my penmanship. I can't think as well as I'm writing as neatly as I possibly can. I now use an online system that does it for me. And it, started where I was just looking for a way to gather addresses online. And it turned out that that place, which is Mm postable.com sells cards, which isn't why I went to them initially. I just, someone shared with me this address link and I thought that's clever. And so I was using their free address book. And then one day was like, oh, I'm going to now use that to this. So now I send cards and I send, you know, welcome home cards. When someone moves, I send you know, sympathy cards and condolence cards and get better cards and congratulation cards. And it's like all these things that are just so much easier to do when you have the right system in place. So mm-hmm. I think it's like, if something doesn't work, try something slightly different. You know, your intentionality is to stay in touch. Yeah. And as you said, if you've got good content, there's sort of a mass way of doing that, like just newsletter and podcasts and social posts, but the one-to-one and Someone else might not want to make phone calls. Maybe they're going to send text messages to three people a week. Like, yeah. be, But just sort of about a, a tension with a follow through. Intention alone is not going to be good enough. Right. Your checklist, though, is very interesting because it is a way of you resetting every week so yep. that you know you're doing it. Exactly. You acknowledge I it. Date, I write the date on like week of this week. And like, so that if I get to Friday and I'm like, wow. I haven't done anything. There's also a spot at the bottom of my checklist that says thoughts on the week. So if I haven't done it, it could be like this. I was on a plane for three days this week. Like I didn't, I, you know, that so life happens. So I, just keep me in check of myself. There is the thoughts on business development this week. And it could say this week was way too busy. This week I was sick. This week everybody had COVID. Like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but there is that sort of caveat at the bottom if I don't get all, everything on my checklist done. So I know you had, I'm writing them down here for myself. One-to-ones, events, thank um, yous, follow-up. So it was, so how many face-to-faces? To, no, yep. prior to COVID, it was face-to-face. Now it could be Zoom, like right. whatever. So it was how many face-to-faces did I have or events did I attend? Mm-hmm. Um, how many new people did I meet? Like write down the names of the new people that I meet. So you could put them in your database because we all know we need to have the database. And it was how many uh, follow-up emails did I do for the people that I met? Have I sent those follow-up emails to the people that I, that I met? And how many uh, thank you cards did I send? 
because if somebody gave me a face to face or helped me do something or somebody had a um so like you said it doesn't have to be a thank you it could be a sympathy card it could be a congratulations card it can be like just sending you a card because i miss you card so how many right. cards do i send and then at the bottom it's thoughts on this business development thoughts on this week what's working what's not working what did i miss you know what was i too tired like anything anything two questions on this one is how long have you had that checklist i started that checklist when i first started my business so for almost seven years now i've had wow. okay that's and i so keep a folder of them yeah so it works for you yeah and uh how so you said you're keeping a folder is it for a reason are you going back i like to go back and be like oh i talked to this person on this day or what it's almost like a diary it's almost like a business diary uh-huh interesting and you mentioned database do you have a particular system crm um, yeah i use I use Pipedrive. Um, there's a lot of different. Um, there's Memorum. There's Pipedrive. There's HubSpot. There's um, a lot of my big clients use Coach Central. So like, uh, there's so many out there. Like, I can't just because I use Pipedrive doesn't mean like that's the one I endorse. It's just the one that works for me right now. Right. My company is uh, because I'm changing my company into a hundred percent speaker. I might have to go with something like Speakerflow or or something. Uh, you know, I might have to migrate my system. The thing is, is you have to have somewhere where you're keeping all of your contacts and a record of how you've interacted with. So. Very cool. Hey, my favorite wrap up question. Here we go. It's going to be a year from now. I know I'm going to see you, for instance, uh, at the next uh, conference. So it might, be a, might not even be a full year, but next summer I'll see you. And I'm going to want to know all your updates. I want to know what we're going to be celebrating a year from now when I say, oh my gosh, Julie, it's been a little while. How have you yes. been? What have you been up to? What are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Well, something that you've already accomplished. I am applying for a TEDx talk. It, my application is due December 16th. It's a whole pro application. Um, you have to audition. You have to go to a boot camp. You, it's, it's, it's an in, intense process. If I get selected, I don't want to give the date because I don't want to, it would be in the spring that I would give this TEDx um, talk. And that is the one thing that I'm hoping I can accomplish in 2023. And then after that, if I accomplish that in the spring, then I would like to, in June, begin to write my second book. Wow. Both amazing things. I can't wait to celebrate both of them with you. Yes, the journey to a TEDx stage is is often uh, a more involved process. You sounds like you're in really good hands, though, if they've got this kind of onboarding. Yeah, and, and I have a coach too. You. Uh, and you, uh, Haley, Haley um, is my coach, so a, a lot of the people in NSA know her. So Haley mm -hmm. Foster. So very cool, Welcome and congratulations on just even putting it out there that you're ready to to go for the second book. I'm in the middle of writing my third. And I don't love the writing process, but I like the results. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited. It's my book came out in June of 2020. So it's time it's been it's been by the time I started in June, it'll have been three years, which yeah. probably is a little too long. You probably should have started earlier, but I got this whole Ted thing that I'm doing. So very cool. Well, congratulations. We can't wait to celebrate all of that with you. Mm -hmm. How can people find you and follow your work? Okay, sure. So you can go to my website, Julie Brown, B as a boy, D as in dog, Julie Brown, BD .com. 
You can find me on LinkedIn at the same thing, Julie Brown VD. Just let me know where you found me because I get a lot of requests and I don't accept requests from people who don't say where they found me. Um, so those are the two main places. Or if you're into graphics, you can look for me on Instagram at Julie Brown underscore BD. Fantastic. We'll put all the links in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Julie, thank you so much for joining us this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Julie. What is your key takeaway? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 316. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as all the archived episodes. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with that one friend you know would love to hear it. Subscribe or follow for free yourself so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional who's achieved success in their field or industry despite the many challenges they faced. I'll ask probing questions to get them to share untold stories about their leadership journey and how they built and sustained their professional network. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.